morning from Proverbs chapter 22, selected verses. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. The rich and the poor have this in common, the Lord is maker of them all. Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity, and the rod of anger will fail. Those who are generous are blessed, for they share their bread with the poor. Do not rob the poor because they are poor. Crush the afflicted at the gate, for the Lord pleads their cause and despoils of life those who despoil them. Faithful and true are the words of God. Thanks be to God. The lectionary has brought us this month to what biblical scholars call wisdom literature. It can be poetry like we read last week, the Song of Solomon, or like we sing and hear in the Psalms. But then some of the books are like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, where they're more a compilation of wise sayings of wisdom from the ages that the authors have put together in a format for us to learn about how to live or how best to understand life. Yet in some cases, they not only impart wisdom, but give us insight into the cares and character of God. These verses we've read this morning do both. They're giving us some advice, some wisdom about living, and they're also telling us some about the character and nature of God, or what God's cares and concerns are all about. These selected verses follow this theme on living a good life and how wealth relates to that. It's helpful to know that in the Bible, most often when it talks about wealth or riches, the implication is that that money is ill-gotten. There was this great chasm between poor and rich And so the implication is often the rich person has that money because they've exploited or abused someone else. The other way that it talks about wealth or riches is to talk about priorities and how it's easy to get things out of order. God should be at the top of the list, the Bible would say, or at the center of your life. But so often the Bible also cautions us that wealth or riches or trying to gain material things gets in front of or on top of or in the center of a place where God should be. So it's a wrong priority kind of advice. I don't know about your household, but at our household during COVID, we began to watch a lot more television than we ever had before. And after we sort of watched a few shows, we were talking to our friends and neighbors about what they were watching and looking for recommendations. And one of those came from several people, was a PBS series from Masterpiece Theater called Poldark. It came out before COVID, but somehow we had missed it, even though we watch those shows sometimes on PBS. We missed it also in COVID. I looked for it, couldn't quite find it, but finally found it just a few months ago, so we've been watching some of those episodes. The main character, or the protagonist, is a guy named Ross Poldark. He's born into a wealthy, upper-class English family, 
as the series begins, he's just coming back from fighting the upstart Americans in the colonies. But rather than moving into the big house to show his status and wealth, he decides to go out on their property and find an abandoned farmhouse and refurbish it. He makes a commitment to living off the land. He's going to work the land, and he throws his lot in with the common people. He opens a family mine to provide jobs for those who are struggling with poverty and need work at a fair wage. His antagonist is a guy named George Warlagan. Now, he was born into a family of commoners, but they're upwardly mobile. They're rising in status. And George is now a banker, but not necessarily an ethical banker. He'll do whatever he can, legal or not, to line his own pockets. He doesn't mind ruining someone else's life if it brings wealth to him. He will do whatever it takes to gain more wealth and status. He is totally focused on the impression others have of him and how he might have wealth and status and control in the community. You see these two different kinds of commitments in life, one to living off the land and honest labor and helping others, and another one focused only on self, trying to build more and more wealth for one's self. Verse 1, I think in our reading today, is talking about that kind of contrast. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. Then in the very next verse, there is added a cautionary note, do not get carried away with judgment of the rich or the poor. Verse 2 says, the rich and the poor have this in common, the Lord is maker of them all. Over my years in ministry, I've talked to lots of different people. What I've found over and over is it's very easy as humans to judge those who are different than ourselves. It's true about others on the socioeconomic scale. I've talked to people with lots of money who look down on those who don't have as much and can be very critical about their decision-making or their work habits. On the other hand, I've talked with people that have great wealth, and it's not uncommon for them to look down on those who have less. It can go either way, the poor looking up and thinking, oh, I don't have as much, those people must be greedy, or those who are looking down thinking, oh, those must be lazy or stupid or whatever the judgment might be. It's easy for us to get caught in judgment, to draw negative conclusions about others in the family of faith. But Proverbs gives us this cautionary note based on the idea that God has made us all. So we're all children of God. We're all a part of the family of faith, and we should treat each other as if we are in the same family. We tried to capture this in our core values a few years ago. We had a leadership group get together and articulate core values for Boston Avenue to try to write down sort of the fundamental and foundational theology of who we are and how we function. 
The very first one they listed, I put in your outline, the Boston Avenue Church affirms everyone as a beloved child of God. And then, of course, our text today gives that same foundation for indeed the Lord is maker of us all. So we're all to be loved. We're to treat one another as if we're all beloved children of God, no matter what our differences. You see this theme continue in verse 8. It says, whoever sows injustice will reap calamity and the rod of anger will fail. Throughout Proverbs and other places in Scripture, injustice and anger are behaviors that are condemned over and over. Scripture says it's bad for the community and it's bad for the individual. The contrast that Proverbs gives us right after verse 8 and verse 9 says, those who are generous are blessed for they share their bread with the poor over against injustice and anger we are counseled to be generous and to share the bible says it's the wise way to go it's the wisest way to live it's better for the community and better for our souls if you read through the parables of jesus you hear these same themes i think i'll give you a couple of examples you may remember the one where there was a servant that owed an enormous amount of money to a master. It came time to repay. He went in, but he could not repay it. Not only did the master act with kindness, like, oh, you could have more time to pay. The master goes further than that and with great generosity cancels the debt completely, sets the man free of all obligation. As the man's leaving that experience of being forgiven all his debt, he runs into a man who owes him a small sum of money. He asks him to repay it. The man cannot. But rather than acting in the same manner he just experienced, Jesus says he grabs the guy by the collar and begins to choke him around the neck, demanding that he pay. And when he cannot, he has him thrown in prison. Injustice and anger are condemned. Generosity and forgiveness are commended to us. You might think about the different parable where Jesus says there was a man who owned a vineyard and he needed some day laborers. He goes out early in the morning and hires some laborers. Then on, throughout the day, realizing he needed more, he goes back to the market time and again and during the day, hires more, hires more, hires more. At the end of the day, as they're coming out, he begins to pay those who came late in the day first. And the laborers begin to notice that he's paying everybody the same wage. Those who were hired early in the morning or at the end of the line, when they get to the man who owned the vineyard who's paying the wages, they begin to grumble and complain that this is not fair. And he says, on the contrary, you agreed before you began to work what your wage would be, and I'm paying you that full wage. What is it to you if I also am generous with these others? Can I not do with my money whatever I want to do? 
Or are you jealous because I am generous? Again, generosity. Generosity of spirit is lifted up as a Christian value, as a way to live our lives in community with others. Generosity and sharing versus injustice and anger, which is the wise way to go? Proverbs, of course, says generosity and sharing are the best way to live. Yet, we still find in our own lives at times the struggle between growing in generosity or growing in wealth. We often set them in juxtaposition with one another as if they are mutually exclusive. I think that they are not. Oh, in my own experience, even once you decide to be a giver, it can be a struggle to decide how much am I going to give and how much am I going to keep for myself. So often, we take for ourselves first and then there's not much left to give. Biblical wisdom would suggest turning that around, giving first back to God and then enjoying the rest in terms of your own experience. But it can be a struggle. When it feels like money is really tight, it's easy to come to the place to decide, I'm going to keep it all for myself and let somebody else take care of the work of God in the world. I was talking with our finance committee not too many days ago, looking forward to October and our stewardship commitment campaign. Every year in October, we ask you to think about these very things and pray and discern how much you're willing to commit back to God through the church in the coming year. I was telling and celebrating with the finance committee that many of our new members are great givers. And even though we haven't been through a stewardship cycle where we ask them specifically to give, they've already begun to give, and we celebrated that together. It is a part of our Christian discipleship and our Christian growth to learn to be generous givers. Whenever we join a United Methodist Church, there's a five-fold vow we're asked to take. I'm going to ask you to, if you'll participate here fully through your prayers, your presence, your gifts, which include financial gifts, your service, and your witness. It's not really a multi-choice, multiple-choice kind of proposition, but lots of people treat it that way. I'll do this one. I'm not going to do that one. But the United Methodist Church lifts up those things because that's what a full Christian life looks like. That's what full Christian discipleship looks like. If you want to experience the fullness of God, the Methodist Church is saying, have a life of prayer, be present in the community, give of your gifts, financial and otherwise, serve as a part of your lifestyle, and live as a witness to Christ. And you'll experience the abundance of the Christian life if you're living in all of those different lanes. But I shared with the finance committee that unfortunately, the largest group of givers in terms of financial gifts to the church on our roster is the group under the title non-givers. 
People are not giving anything at all. Our book of discipline charges the finance committee with a whole list of things they are responsible for. One of them is teaching the congregation to become a tithing congregation, to become givers, to exude an attitude of generosity. Our wise leaders who put that together, I think, put that in the list because Boston Avenue is not alone in this idea that lots of people participating at some level are not quite ready to give of their financial resources. It's a temptation and a struggle across the church in this country and, in fact, around the world. It's not limited to just those who are young or just those who are old. It's not limited to those who are lifelong Methodists or those who are new to the denomination. There's people all across the spectrum struggling with what to do financially in regard to their faith, how to incorporate financial management or financial literacy or financial practices into their life of discipleship. What does it mean to be a follower of Christ and how do we exude that across the experience of our life? Jesus talks more about money and generosity than any other topic. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said there's really three conversions to Christ. First is one to the head, the second is one to the heart, the third is one of the purse. He says, unfortunately, they don't all happen at the same time. John Wesley wrote a lot about stewardship. He had methods of Christian discipleship. That's why we're called Methodist. As people began to follow his guidance, including in financial matters, the Methodists began to prosper. Often they came from the lowest or poorest ranks of society, and then they began to prosper in the Methodist way of living. And Wesley wrote that he was concerned that they would lose their zeal for the faith if they became too prosperous. He was really concerned that as they gained more and more wealth and status that they would lose their sensitivity to living the Christian life and caring for the poor and using their resources for the work of God in the world. Well, our last two verses remind us that God is indeed interested in caring for the poor. Verse 22, do not rob the poor because they are poor or crush the afflicted at the gate for the Lord pleads their cause and despoils of life those who despoil them. In this portion of Proverbs, we're being given a glimpse into the character and nature of God. We're being told what God cares about and where God's concerns lie and at least part of that is with the poor. It says God will plead their cause or be on their side, will lift them up. And so we experience that as people of faith, as a calling or a guide or an opportunity or a choice. Do we want to align ourselves with the life of God? Do we want to align ourselves with the purposes and the causes of God or not? 
Proverbs says to do so is to care for the poor. So it's tied with our generosity of soul or spirit within ourselves where it also impacts others as well. The good news revealed here is that when we care for the poor, we are doing God's work. We are growing in grace or growing in faith or growing into the image of Christ when we are willing to be generous of heart and mind and spirit, when we're willing to be generous with our resources. We're experiencing more of God. We're growing closer to God. Perhaps we're developing greater knowledge of the Lord. At Boston Avenue here, we try to open multiple doors, multiple opportunities for giving. Back in May, we gave you opportunity to bring diapers and formula for families in need. Last month, we gave you opportunity to bring snacks for Cookston Hills kids. Many of you left cash gifts when you came for communion last week, knowing those funds go into the Good Samaritan Fund to help families who are in emergency and crisis situations get through the week or the month. So many different opportunities to give. This month you can work on the grounds or help out Burroughs Elementary. And of course the fundamental or foundational opportunity comes every week as we offer ourselves through offering our gifts back to God through an offering right here in worship. So many different ways to give. So many different ways to grow in faith and generosity. We see every opportunity to give as an opportunity to grow closer to God, to give back to God's work in the world. Proverbs says it's the wise way to go. It's the best way to live. It is the best way to live, Proverbs argues, for it benefits the community and the individual. It's a win-win kind of experience. May we all come to know the joy of giving. May we all come to embrace this wisdom of the sages from the Bible in terms of what the best way to live is, what the fullness of life is all about. And may we find ourselves walking in the way that leads to life. Amen. And thanks be to God.